Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, we retell it, and have a chat about the story itself and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan, and I'm your host and your Fireside bard. I'm sure eventually, someday soon, I'll be able to rattle that same sentence off without a hitch, but we'll get we'll get there eventually. Um, it is episode number seven of Fireside, just before pressing record. Um, I wondered to myself, why is it that seven is reportedly a lucky number? Um, and because all the, I was thinking initially was seven deadly sins. So I looked it up and true enough, it seems that it's because God created the world in seven days and on the seventh day he rested so seven is considered the perfect number it's also a prime number can be divided by itself and only by itself in one um and that seems to be that's as good a reason as any um and it seems to be worshipped in many different religions as as a lucky number so there you go there's a bit of there's a bit of trivia for you on your for your morning or commute or whenever you're listening to this i'll continue going um, today we're gonna have we're back to folklore, and we're gonna take the look at a story of a character very very popular. Even even those who would know very little about folklore or myth, um, this is something they'd have heard of. Maybe not this story particularly, but what this story revolves around. This is a story that revolves around a changeling. Now there's a lot of that means a lot of different things and we're going to chat about all that after the story. This is one of those stories that jumped jumped out at me when I from just its title. And its title is The Brewery of Eggshells, which of course is just instantly makes you go, "Huh. What what is that going to entail?" So, before I ramble any more, we're going to chat about the story afterwards. But here we go, episode seven, lucky number seven on Fireside. Here we are with the Brewery of Eggshells. Mr. and Mrs. Sullivan lived together in a house in the Irish countryside. They were madly in love with each other and always dreamed of the day when they would have a child together. Sadly, Mr. Sullivan went out walking one day and never returned. Mrs. Sullivan was heartbroken, but joy was found in the tragic loss of her husband when soon after Mrs. Sullivan discovered that she was pregnant. She decided to keep the baby 
and raise it herself. A little baby boy was born to Mrs. Sullivan, and to her he was perfect. He had his father's blue eyes, and Mrs. Sullivan named the baby after him. The baby was well-behaved and rarely even cried. Mrs. Sullivan couldn't have been happier. But one morning, about six months later, Mrs. Sullivan was awoken by screaming crying. She rushed to the cradle, only to realise her beautiful, blue-eyed baby boy had become a shriveled-up, haggard-looking creature. Mrs. Sullivan was horrified. She couldn't bring herself to pick up the creature to pacify it, despite the continual snivelling and roaring crying. But Mrs. Sullivan was no fool, and she was instantly convinced that the creature in the cradle was not her own child, but a fairy of the other world that had been put in its place. A changeling. There were many methods of discovering whether or not a baby was a changeling, but they mostly involved murdering or at least severely maiming the child. Mrs. Sullivan's neighbours had many suggestions. You should try roasting that thing on the griddle. No! Burn its nose off with hot tongs. You're both absolutely mad. The thing to do is leave it out in the snow. Even though Mrs. Sullivan was convinced the creature in the cradle was not her own son, she could not bring herself to harm it. For although the thing was pale, hairy and emaciated, it still did bear a resemblance to her actual son. So she just couldn't be sure. But there was a wise old woman who lived in the town called Grey Ellen. Grey Ellen was the town's expert on all things to do with fairies and the other world. She was rumoured to be half fairy herself, as she seemed to have magical powers, to heal wounds, and to know the status of dead spirits. It was Grey Ellen who told Mrs. Sullivan that her husband had died. There was a trust and a respect between the two women. So Mrs. Sullivan went to Grey Ellen and said, Grey Ellen, I believe my beautiful baby boy has been taken by the other people. Is there no way I can get him back without bringing the terrible replacement to harm? If you are so sure your child is a changeling, why do you fear causing it pain? The creature bears a slight resemblance to my own boy, which makes me doubt even my strongest convictions. And even if it is a miserable little wretch, it feels as if it is an innocent, so I can't hurt it. There is one way. It has rarely been tried, and it'll perhaps seem ridiculous to you. More ridiculous than baking a baby like a cake? I don't see how that's possible. You haven't heard the idea yet. Grey Ellen, if there's even the slightest chance that it will bring my baby back, there's nothing I won't do. Short of baking, short of baking the baby like a cake, yes. Well then, I promise you, if you do as I tell you, you will know if your baby is a changeling. Mrs. Sullivan listened carefully to Grey Ellen's plan. It did indeed sound bizarre, and she didn't see what good it could possibly do. But she trusted the wise old woman, and went home to carry out the plan. Mrs. Sullivan went to her kitchen, took out a pot, filled it with water, and brought it to a boil. She then took a dozen freshly laid eggs, cracked them all open, threw out the innards, and kept the shells. She then put the shells one by one into the boiling water and began to stir. All while this was being done, the baby lay in the cradle. When he smelled the fire 
and heard the crack of the eggs, the child became hungry, so he sat up in the cradle and peered over the edge to see was food being prepared for him. The child looked in bafflement as Mrs. Sullivan put good egg after good egg in the bin and put each hard, sharp and tasteless shell in the pot. Using the size of the cradle for support, the baby stood up for the first time and said the first words Mrs. Sullivan had heard him speak. What are you doing, Mammy? It would be strange enough for a baby to speak any full sentence as his first words, never mind a cogent inquisition. But what really gave the game away was that the voice that came out of the child was of an old man, like a docker who'd smoked forty a day for fifty years. Mrs. Sullivan could barely contain her horror when she heard the sound that came from the cradle. Knowing now without a doubt that it was indeed a fairy who'd replaced her beloved boy, Mrs. Sullivan carefully pulled out a poker and held it to the fire. She composed herself, and without even turning around, she said calmly, I'm brewing, my child. Yes, I can see that. What are you brewing, uh, my beloved mammy? It was a particularly large poker Mrs. Sullivan was holding, so it took a long time to heat up, so she had to stall for time. What is it that I'm brewing? That's what you want to know, is it, son? Yes, mammy. I am your bouncing baby boy, and I demand to know what it is you are brewing. The poker was ready. I'm brewing eggshells, son. The little imp leapt up from the cradle and cried out, Are you, yeah? Well, I'm fifteen hundred years old, and I have never heard of a brewery of eggshells. Mrs. Sullivan turned around and, wielding the scalding poker, sprinted furiously at the cradle, ready to shove the poker down the monster's throat. But in her rage, Mrs. Sullivan lost her footing, tripped, and the poker went flying from her hand and dug into the wall. Mrs. Sullivan jumped straight back up and, seizing the thing in the cradle, brought it over to the pot, ready to drop it in the boiling water with the eggshells. But just as she was about to let go, she saw two big, beautiful blue eyes staring back at her. The eyes that were of her late husband. It was her own beloved perfect child, returned to her by the fairy thieves. The baby was totally unharmed. Mrs. Sullivan embraced him for hours before nestling him back in his own cradle. Mrs. Sullivan never encountered the fairy changeling again. But a few weeks later, there was a knock at her door. Mrs. Sullivan answered the knock, only to see Mr. Sullivan standing at the door, alive and well. She hugged and kissed him, brought him back into the house, and introduced him to the son he had never known. Mr. Sullivan had no idea where he had been for the past year. He remembered walking back home late at night, and then nothing. It is presumed that he himself had been led astray by the people of the other world, and that the fairies, now terrified that Mrs. Sullivan and her flaming poker may come out looking for revenge, had returned her husband to make her family complete again. Grey Ellen was always welcome in the Sullivan house from that point on, and while I won't say they lived happily ever after, Mr. and Mrs. Sullivan and the baby Sullivan never had any problems with the so-called good people ever again. The End That was The Brewery of Eggshells on Fireside. Oh, yes. 
I hope you enjoyed that story. This is another one from The Book of Fairy and Folktales of Ireland, compiled by W.B. Yeats. This is quite an early one. This is a Thomas Crofton Croker story. Um, those who have listened to... If this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're very welcome. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you're returning, thank you for your continued support. If it is your first time... Um, I will definitely be, this should be a podcast you can listen to out of order, but I will be referencing things back, and particularly with the first couple of episodes. There's a great introduction, I think, to what I'm about and what I'm uh, what I'm hoping to be about with this podcast. Um, and it'll go into more detail of some of the things that I might talk about, so possibly go back and listen to them if you are enjoying it. So Thomas Crofton Croker is very... He's kind of where it all starts um, in terms of folklore. We talked a bit about him. He, um, What's most interesting about him, I think, is that he was... Um, he had a correspondence with the, the Brothers Grimm and he did translations of some of the Grimm fairy tales into English. And they actually did... Um, the Grimm Brothers did a translation of Irish folktales into German, which I think is, is amazing because... Obviously, without question, in terms of a worldwide or, or Western world knowledge, the German folklore uh, compiled by the Brothers Grimm has to be the most the most famous, most famous worldwide. In no small part to Disney, it can't be denied in terms of its continuing success with the likes of Snow White and Cinderella. Um, but there's just a constant endurance to them, like through things like Panto now as well, but like they are stories that have been around for a long time and seem to not be going anywhere anytime fast. So as I said before, Changelings is... Even someone who knows little or nothing about folklore, chances are they'll have heard of a Changeling, especially in Ireland. I initially did think that the Changelings were just Irish, that they only appeared, but like in a bit of research... I discovered that there, a lot of the Celtic nations certainly, like Scotland has them, Wales has them, the Isle of Man has them, and Germany has them. So they do spread, they do spread quite far, far and wide. And this is a broad, this is a broad manner of speaking, um, because there are loads of different kinds of tra- changelings. There are loads of different opinions on what to do if there is one. This is one that like has ramifications in the modern world, and by that I mean we can look back now and see why changelings were a thing. So a changeling is to just like kind of cut it back to basics. It's when a child, a woman, or a family looks to their baby, and overnight it has been transformed, um, and it's either. It either looks like it's really old or it's really maim, maimed. Like there's a lot of them with like a little hand or a club foot. They're often quite shriveled up. Um, sometimes, and they can be one of three things. They can be a fairy baby, because fairy babies were apparently very, always very sickly, and uh, adult fairies who were very beautiful often they couldn't bear the sight of their own child, so they had to exchange it with. Uh, with a human child. There's another theory that uh, fairy babies need human milk to survive, and so it was a means of necessity to change it with a human baby. Um, so it could be a fairy baby. It could be an old fairy. 
Uh, and in the case of this brewery of eggshells, obviously that is what it is, the case. And this is really cool because it means that, like, human care, like, is it takes the place of a hospice, basically, in fairy culture. It's a retirement home. It's it's, and that's that's just so. I think that's so wonderful, the idea of an old fairy getting sent to the human world to be treated like a baby in its in its elderly years. I think that's incredible. And the third kind, the third kind of potential changing, is that it's a bit of wood. It's a bit of wood, or it's it's some other inanimate object that, to be fair, has had fairy enchantments put on it. So it's not just like how does how did you not notice that your baby's been turned into a piece of wood? That in that case though, that's often called a stock. So those are the three thoughts. Um, the three thoughts of what they, what the baby was, what the baby replacement was. For us today, we look back and we realize it was a few things. First and foremost, it was it was a way for people to explain physical physical and mental um, difficulties and deformities and developmental challenges in humans. So it was a way before they could diagnose things like like Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and cystic fibrosis. This was a way to explain it, that what had happened, that, that all baby, human babies were perfect and nothing. And if anything was wrong with them, they must be a changing, they must be a fairy baby. And then when they get a bit older, they explain kind of more developmental challenges. So a big one was autism. Um, it is thought that if a child if a child was a bit different, like a bit more socially anxious or like didn't quite fit in, that that was why, because they weren't human. Um, and this is backed up by the fact that apparently, again, like obviously I am not in any way an expert on any of this, but apparently a lot of these a lot of these conditions are based they're more prominent in boys than they are in girls. Um and apparently it was much more likely that a baby boy would be taken than a baby girl. So this seems to it's circumstantial, but it corroborates that theory a little bit or it confirms that theory a little bit. So that's that's fascinating, of course, in its own way, um, of the rationale. Another one is that obviously in this is this is nineteenth century, eighteenth century Ireland, where these stories are coming from. It's pre, it's kind of pre-famine, famine times. Uh, times are very tough. It's very hard to keep each other alive. Never mind children. And changelings were ravenous creatures. They're ravenous creatures, apparently, in terms of that anything you feed a changeling, it will eat, it will devour. And so if a family is finding it really tough to feed the child and thinking that it's just eating all the food and they can't even feed themselves, then it must be a changeling because a human baby wouldn't be so selfish to eat all the food that a baby needs to survive. And this is justification enough for killing it, which is incredibly dark. But that's that's a, that was a rationale for us. That was a way to get over the guilt of not being able to support a child, to support a family. And speaking of death, that's of course we get onto the the witchcraft echoes of it all. This just 
most of nearly all of the methods of dealing with the change thing were were to murder it, were to kill it. Um, and most of these were thought that that would mean that your baby would be returned. So it's, but it just, it like, it, it has such echoes of the Salem witch trials because all of the methods of determining whether a woman was a witch or not involved killing her. So uh, they would drown her, they would throw her off a cliff. So if she if they drowned her, if she was a witch, she'd fly, come back up. And if she was innocent, she'd just die. But of course, the thought was that it was a Christian death and that she'd be grand then. Same with the cliff. They throw her off the cliff and if she flies back up, she's obviously a witch. So the thought was that you throw a changeling on a fire. Good one actually is, yeah, if you put it in the fire, the changeling's supposed to run up the chimney to safety and then your child is supposed to be returned. When I was reading through the fairy tale book, like I said, I'm looking at titles. If you're looking at hundreds of of titles, you're going to look at the ones that are going to jump out at you. For like, obviously, like even when people are listening to this podcast, they're going to look through the episode titles and if they're picking one randomly, they're going to have a name that jumps out at them. And I think this name really does jump out in the brewery of eggshells. I thought this again was quite a specific story to Ireland, but it turns out this is this is in German and Welsh folklore as well. This is like a common enough way method of dealing with it, um, and I think it's brilliant because it's obviously with the exception of the latter part of it, it is a non-violent way of finding out if your baby is a changing or not. And I think I love the cleverness of that, and I love the imagery of that. In terms of what I've done to it. It's quite faithful to Crofton Croker's version. Um, the only thing I've really added is Mr. Sullivan. There's no Mr. Sullivan in the original. It's just Mrs. Sullivan living on her own. She has the baby and no talk of any other family or anything. So I liked the idea of giving giving her a husband as well. Because a reason, there, re, there are obviously as well many reasons why they thought a baby would be taken. And in Ireland, a big one is... If you envied a child, if you put envy on a baby, then that would make it be taken. But the opposite as well, in terms of if you were too proud of a child, it would also be taken from you. So I like this idea of messing around with this mixed emotion that Mrs. Sullivan has this baby who reminds her so much of the husband that she'd lost. Um, And so there's a slight bit of envy, but also an overly devotion to it. So the child is too special to her, which makes it incredibly attractive to the fairies. I toyed around with the idea of maybe having Mr. Sullivan die, but it just being this Wild West country that Ireland would have been at this time, I love the idea of him just going out for for a walk and never coming back, getting taken by the fairies in the middle of the night. Grey Ellen was, of course, another great, great character, just this wise, old, witchy, wizardy woman it's, I like the idea that thinking that she is magical herself and that she is perhaps a grown-up changing. Because changings don't, often they don't survive well in the human world. They usually die within about two or three years. Again, explains, could be another reason why they thought it was uh, diseases and conditions that they couldn't explain yet and so they couldn't treat, which had the immensely all the reasons why there was the immensely high mortality rate in infancy at this time but supposedly if a changeling did grow up they would usually never remember that they were a fairy in the first place so I like this idea of perhaps that 
that Grey Ellen is a grown-up changeling and that's why she has these fairy powers and that she doesn't want to, and Mrs. Sullivan does not want to bake the child like a cake. And just, yeah, this idea of brewing eggshells and that in 1,500 years a fairy baby saw absolutely nothing, nothing like it at all. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. So Yates writes, I wanted to read this out because I thought it's great. Sometimes the fairies fancy mortals and carry them away into their own country, having instead some sickly fairy child or a log of wood so bewitched that it seems to be immortal pining away and dying and being buried. Most commonly, they steal children. If you overlook a child, that is, look on it with envy, the fairies have it in their power. Many things can be done to find out if a child's changing, but there is one infallible thing. Lay it on the fire with this formula. Burn, burn, burn. If of the devil, burn. But if of God and the saints, be safe from harm. This is given by Lady Wilde. Then, if a changeling, it will rush up the chimney with a cry, for according to the Geraldus Cambrenus, Cambrensis, however that is, fire is the greatest of enemies of every sort of phantom. And so that those who have been who those who have seen apparitions in fall into a swoon as soon as they are sensible of the brightness of fire huh sometimes the creature is got rid of in a more gentle way it is on record that when once when a mother was leaning over a wizened changeling the latch lifted and a fairy came in carrying home again the wholesome stolen baby it was the other she said who stole it as for her she wanted her own child those who are carried away are happy, according to some accounts, having plenty of good living and music and mirth. Others say, however, that they are continually longing for their earthly friends. Lady Wilde gives a gloomy tradition that there are two kinds of fairies, one kind of merry and gentle, the other evil, and one sacrificing a year, every year a life to Satan, for which purpose they steal mortals. No other writer gives this tradition. If such fairies there be, they must be among the solitary spirits, pukas, firdarigs, and the like. Yeah, Lady Wilde. So Lady Wilde, who is the mother of Oscar, herself and her husband were great folklorists, and she is one of the main contributors, contributors, contributors to the Yeats book. And yeah, she gives a couple of accounts. I forgot about that story, yeah, of... uh, of a fairy bringing back the human baby because it was the other fairies that stole Dullet and that she wanted her own her own child back. And the incredibly dark turn of connecting it, again connecting it back with religion. This is one of the one of the most interesting parts about Irish folklore on, on a whole is the idea of Christianity and fairies living together in harmony, essentially. They're just they don't contradict each other at all, apparently, in this. Like, loads... There's an entire section of this book of stories about priests and fairies. Um, and so they're of this other world, but they also might be of the devil as well. So they have to sacrifice human children to the devil. But then again, it is only Lady Wilde that gives this account, so it might be of... Probably wasn't of her invention. She probably just heard it somewhere. But I love it. I love it. I love as well them saying that fire is the natural enemy of a change thing. <laughs> Or of fairies or other people. As if it's not just the natural enemy of absolutely anything you throw in it. Which is, we always like to know that uh, fire, we always like when fire is mentioned, it makes me feel all the better for naming this podcast Fireside. Wizened is a wonderful word. That is one that they keep throwing around. 
I'm going to have a read now from my pocketbook of Irish fairies by Bob Curran. If Lee Coffey is listening to this podcast, I might have said before, this is a book that I borrowed from him and never gave back. I always had the intention of giving it back, but now he has since bought another version of this book himself, which means that I can keep it. So I apologize, Lee, and thank you for gifting this wonderful little book to my collection, even though you didn't mean to gift it to me. Changelings. It appears that fairy women all over Ireland find birth and difficult to experience. Many fairy children die before birth, and those that do survive are often stunted or deformed creatures. The adult fairies who are aesthetic beings are repelled by these infants and have no wish to keep them. They will try to swap them with healthy children who are st- or steal them from the mortal world. The wizened, ill-tempered creature left in the place of the human child is generally known as a changeling and possesses the power to work evil in a household. Any child who is not baptised or is overly admired is especially at risk of being exchanged. A changing can be one of two of these types. Actual fairy children, senile fairies who are disguised as children, or inanimate objects such as pieces of wood which take on the appearance of a child through fairy magic. This latter type is known as a stock. It is their temperament, however, which marks them as a changeling. Babies are generally joyful and pleasant, but the fairy substitute is never happy, except when some calamity befalls the household. For the most part, it howls and screeches throughout its waking hours, and the sound and frequency of its yells often transcends the bounds of mortal endurance. So that's a a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about beforehand. That's an element I didn't mention, is, yeah, that they're never happy, except when... Grave misfortune befalls the family. (laughs) I like that a lot. Puckered and wizened features. Wizened again. Loving this wizened references. Coupled with yellow parchment-like skin are all genetic changeling attributes. The fairy will also exhibit very dark eyes which betray a wisdom far older than its apparent years. Changelings display other characteristics, usually physical deformities, among which a crooked back or a lame hand are common. About two weeks after their arrival in the human household, changings will also exhibit a full set of teeth, legs as thin as chicken bones, and hands which are curved and crooked as birds' talons covered with the light downy hair. Wonderful, vivid imagery. No luck will come to a family in which there is a changeling because the creature drains away all the good fortune that would normally attend the household. Thus, those who are cursed with it tend to be very poor and struggle desperately to maintain the ravenous monster in their midst. One positive feature with which this fairy may demonstrate is an aptitude for music. Yes, as it begins to grow, the changing may take up an instrument, often the fiddle or the Irish pipes, and play with such skill that all those who hear it will be entranced. This report is from Boho in County Fermanagh. That's wonderful. That idea of gifted, musically gifted young children were perfectly normal in uh, all of the sense of the words, uh, as normal as any musicians can be. I can say that as as a musician. Um, that idea that these, because some children are immensely gifted, and often with things like like the piano nowadays, but like certainly the fiddle and the Ellen pipes, which would be two of the harder instruments to learn. They're the ones that you have to start very very early. Um. The idea of someone showing an aptitude for this, that that made them enchanted, that made them magical, that made them a changeling. I love this idea of that, of these wandering gypsy fiddle players and illin pipers having this extra ethereal magical quality to them.
I'll continue on. I saw Changeling one time. He lived with two owl brothers away beyond the dog's wall and looked like a wee wizened monkey. Wizened! He was about ten or eleven, but he couldn't really walk, just bobbed about. But he could play the whistle, the best you ever heard. Old tunes that the people had long forgotten. That was all he played. Then one day he was gone, and I don't know what happened to him at all. Prevention being better than cure, a number of protections may be placed around an infant's cradle to ward off a changeling. A holy crucifix or iron tongs placed above the cradle would usually be effective, because fairies fear these. An article of the father's clothing laid across the child as it sleeps will have the same effect. So then again, you have this marrying of the Christian and the pagan beliefs, like the idea of the tongs particularly, um, in the case of Mrs. Sullivan and her fiery tongs, that's a good one. Changelings have prodigious appetites and will eat all that is set before them. The changeling has teeth and claws and does not take the breast like a human infant, but eats food from the larder. When the creature is finished at each meal, it will demand more. Changelings have been known to eat the cupboard here, cupboard bare, and still not be satisfied. Yet no matter how much it devours, the changeling remains as scrawny as ever. So again, that's a malnourishment. And again, the guilt of, of parents feeling that they're not able to sustain the child. Um, it could just be that they can't afford, they can't give the child enough, but that they will say, no, we are giving it enough, it's just an evil fairy who's not going to get any fatter. Changings do not live long in the mortal world. They usually shrivel up and die within the first two, three years of their human existence. The changeling is mourned and buried, buried, but if its grave is ever disturbed, all that will be found is a blackened twig or a piece of bog oak where the body of the infant should be. Some live longer, but rarely into their teens. There can also be adult changings. These fairy doubles will exactly resemble the person taken, but will have a sour disposition. The double will be cold and aloof and take no interest in friends or family. It will also be argumentative and scolding. As with an infant, a marked personality change is strong indication of an adult changeling. So this, yeah, this, this gets back to the more developmental, developmental conditions, such as autism. Of uh, of this of of this outsider status that is felt by people, changelings may be driven from a house. When this is a chain achieved, the human child or adult will invariably be returned unharmed. The least severe method of expulsion is to trick the fairy into revealing its true age. Another method is to force tea made from lismore uh, down the throat of a suspected changeling. So that's a fox cub, burning out its human entrails and forcing it to flee back to the fairy realm. Heat and fire are anathema to the changeling, and it will fly away. I've actually never encountered that word before, but I assume it means deadly to it. But as we've discovered, is there much that fire would not be deadly to? That was my first time kind of uh, reading directly from some of the books that have been inspired by, and I think, I think that is, I think I might start doing that a little bit more as well. I like that just because obviously these some of these books can articulate things better than I can. I think it's important to kind of put it in my own words as well because I just feel that makes a more engaging podcast. I hope anyway. I hope I'm not umming and emming and talking chite for lack of a better term too much. Um, because especially with some of the Yates stuff, a lot of it is quite stuffy and and hasn't aged very well in terms of its prose. Um so that's why I'm more interested in doing my own versions of the stories and adding my own elements and keeping the stories alive in that way. But I think as we're approaching the mark, we might start to wrap up there. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. 
Um, I hope you found it interesting, all about the changelings and all. We Last time we had an introduction, last myth we had a look at was the arrival of Lou, my boy, my favourite character of early Irish mythology, uh, of the mythological cycle. And the next story we're going to read, we're going to have a look at the Sons of Turin, which is uh, Turin. Again, we'll come back to a pronunciation of that. This is one of my favourites. This is this is probably why Lou is, Lou is my boy. And I really look forward to telling you that. Um, so next week we'll have that. An episode 8 uh, of Fireside. But I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please like, please subscribe, all of that stuff. And yeah, if you're enjoying it, uh, follow me on Instagram at Solo, all one word, O-L-O-H-A-N. S-O-L-O you can find me on Twitter at the same name as well let me know if you have any thoughts any feedback I would love to hear it and I will see you all next time around the fireside goodbye this podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network